You're listening to the Who's Driving Your Car podcast, episode 150. Hello and welcome to the Who's Driving Your Car podcast, where we discuss not only who or what might be driving your life, but also the great views and experiences along the way. Do you drive in the fast lane like my wife, or do you feel like you're stuck in first gear? You only get one life to live, and it can be either a total wreck or a beautiful cruise into the sunset. We are three friends that have collectively experienced almost anything that could possibly happen in this crazy world, and we'll be discussing our personal reflections and experiences so hopefully you can avoid running out of gas and truly enjoy the wind blowing in your hair. So hop on in with us for a little road trip called life, and let's discuss who's driving your car. Aye! Crack Pack Alike and Podcast World. Welcome back to Who's Driving Your Car, episode 150. Ciento Cinquenta. <laughs> back again. Back again and back with a guest today. I think it's pretty pretty exciting. We have a guest for our 150th episode. I, I know John is probably tickled pink the most about that. 150, baby. I'm still rolling. 150, that's awesome. <laughs> still trying to get those three or 400 Craig wanted us to get in the beginning. Um, we do have a special guest today, with us today, Kelly Bro. She is the author of a book called Hiding in the Upper Room, and she and her husband, Ryan, are the co-founders of Redbird Ministries. We're really excited to, to have her on board today. I think there's going to be a lot of insight, um, a lot of uh, faith and hope will come about, I think, in this and, and part of our, our mission. And without further ado, Kelly, welcome aboard. Thank you for having me. Well, Kelly, why don't you give us a little 60, 90 second introduction on who you are, where you're from, and what's your background? Yeah, so my name is Kelly Bro, and my husband and I live in Brobridge, Louisiana. Yes. So we have, yes, we have uh, five children, one on earth and four in heaven. Um, we founded Rubber Ministries in 2018, and um, we've been doing this work since then to provide support to families of child loss. Okay. Yeah, we and and I think there's a lot of a lot of good that's come from from some tough times in, in Kelly's life, and and I think the stories will will really be impactful today. But Kelly, before we do get hopping in uh, to the interview or the discussion, so to speak, we like to play a uh, little segment called "Would You Rather," and this is kind of John's really forte. Craig and I do it every <laughs> now and again, but John jumped on it today, so I'm interested to see what he's got, Craig. Yeah, I would rather definitely record live because communication is broken down through Zoom. So, yeah. Yeah, can that throw in some difficulties for sure. How about <laughs> you, Cece? Yeah, I'm with Kelly. I do like to record live when we can, although uh, Zoom is a blessing and it allows us to connect with a lot of people that we otherwise couldn't unless they lived in Lake Charles. So that's it's been special. But uh, if I had to pick, I'd go with the live. How about you, Matt? I would agree as well. I, I don't mind the Zoom. I think the Zoom is good. My, my biggest issue with the Zoom, to be honest, is what we had prior to this. Um, and I wanted to do it all via Zoom, but we we're doing it on our mics and Zoom. So the tracks, thankful, a little shout out to Bro Lady, have to be, you know, spliced and put together. But John wants wants this to happen, so we try to comply with his, his wishes <laughs> and desires. Um, but otherwise, I would rather do it uh, in person. Sometimes you just have to go with the talent and you keep them happy. So... 
I mean, sometimes you just got to do it's it. It's a tough feeling to feel. <laughs> so for me, I would like to record live. Uh, but you're right. You know, the having the ability to record with people on other sides of the the nation, much less the other side of the world, is a great opportunity. And we were able to continue to record and have guests during COVID. So yeah. it was a great mm-hmm. thing to have in conjunction with recording live. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult, I think, recording via Zoom because it's a, there's a little delay. There's a little bit of uh, waiting for different cues for people starting t- and stopping to talk. But overall, I'm happy for the opportunity, but would prefer going live. That's good, Jonathan. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> all right, Kelly. Let's uh, let's hop into things, and and you can maybe tell us as uh, you know, you told us a little bit in the prelude about yourself, but um, you want to tell us maybe about your story and and how the you know your ministry, the book, etc., have all come to be, and then we can maybe get into where people can locate y'all and how y'all can help people, etc. But kind of the story as to how we got to where we are today. Yeah, so I want to just first, I guess, start off with my faith journey as how it was impacted even before our loss, because um, it played such an important role into where I am today. Um, so when um, I first met my husband, Ryan, in 1999, my mom had left the Catholic faith. So my formative years, I was raised Protestant. Um, South Louisiana, you guys know that it's immersed in Catholic culture. And so when Ryan and I met, the first, one of the first things that he told me was, you're cute, but I'm not going to that church. And uh, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, thank you for like taking like authority and like of our faith journey. But my reaction to him was like, who does he think he is? <laughs> <laughs> a spiritual pride. No, but um, it definitely um, made me react because even you know, maybe I had like a little negative like reaction to him. I liked him and, you know, love converts people. So I became Catholic, maybe not so much as um, because of doctrine or, or, or dogma or anything like that, but um, because of love, I wanted to marry a boy and he wanted me to be Catholic. So I reverted back to my Catholic faith, but for me, it was very, it was pretty much um, just to do what needed to get done to be able to get married in the church. Um, so we were sacra- sacramentally married in 2002. Um, and Ryan and I, you know, we started our life together. I was 22. He was 24. Um, eight months after we got married, um, he used to race motocross and he um, wrecked his dirt bike, had a spinal fracture and ended up having to have spinal fusion. And so immediately into our marriage, um, suffering entered our life. And um, I can remember too, like earlier in my years, like even, um, you know, even through my Protestant faith, like I believed in God. Um, I I thought I knew God. But I didn't really have this like personal deep relationship with him. And so as suffering entered our life, you know, it definitely had that had fractures. Uh, it fractured my faith. Um, in 2005, uh, we uh, delivered a set of twins at 28 weeks pregnant. My placenta abrupted. And so like I, I didn't even like realize at the time, you know, that I could die to um we delivered Talon and Emma Grace. They uh, Talon weighed um, three pounds one ounce, and Emma Grace was two pounds five ounces. And 
immediately, you know, life was very scary. You live when you have babies in the NICU as a new mom, new, new parents, that's a very scary world to a young parent. Um, a lot of trust, a lot of surrender in, um, you know, depending on others to, to keep, you know, your child alive. Um, and I remember, um, on day 15, when, when we walked into the NICU, we knew that our son had developed an infection, but, you know, growing up, anytime anyone would say infection, you would think, oh, give him medicine and that's all going to go away. And that, that wasn't the case. Um, he was septic. And on October 31st at 15 days old of 2005, um, our son died. Um, we were able to have him baptized that day, um, which was important to us. Um, but it was a very like um, fight or flight moment for us where I felt um, like so out of control. I'd never felt that way before, even through the suffering of my parents' divorce, Ryan breaking his back. Um, this was very different. I couldn't control my emotions, had severe anxiety. Um, I parented out of fear after that, you know, with our other, our daughter was in the NICU um, still to grow. Um, she came home um, on oxygen and 10 different medicines at like 80 something days in the hospital. And um, it became like our norm. Like I would care for her. I took care of her. Uh, I was 25. And I say that because like, it's really young to be put into this very stressful situation as a, a young mom. Um, we came home during flu and RSV seasons. I couldn't bring her out. And um, I was alone while my husband went to work. Um, so definitely like really struggled through PTSD and anxiety and um, I couldn't go anywhere. So no one could come. So I didn't have like a, a community that I can immerse myself into. Um, I really had to just struggle with through that a lot of it on my own. Um, and then life started to, you know, Emma got off her oxygen. We were able to have her baptized and that, um, that time of like just living in fear started to disappear. So we started to enjoy her and she had, she had her first birthday and uh we found out we were pregnant again and so um, in 2009 we delivered our daughter Estelle she's 13 years old and um Emma was going to have surgery that summer so from her NICU stay she um she had some complications and she ended up having to have surgery um the extensive stories in my book so I won't go down that rabbit hole because it's very long but she ended up having to have surgery. And um, when Estelle was six months old, so in June of that year, we left for, to, for Florida to go have surgery. And Emma contracted H1N1 swine flu. And seven weeks later, she passed away one month shy of her fourth birthday. And I felt like the world split open and I fell in. Um, I like the what had happened you know, with Talon, um, I still could pray. I still thought God was good, even though I was struggling and suffering through that anxiety. After Emma died, there was so much anger, so much rage. I thought that God had willed my child to die. 
and it was a very dark and lonely place to be. And I stayed in that space for a very long time internally where the world thought, you know, Ryan and I, they, they would tell us like, you're strong and inside I'm like dying. And, um, I wore a mask of I'm okay. Like I was struggled with asking people for support and for help. And, um, you know, people were empathetic and they, they tried to help, but it was just, I didn't know who I could trust with the vulnerability of my heart. Um, because I felt like if I told people how I really felt that they wouldn't love me anymore because it was a, there was so much anger towards God. There was so much ang- anger, um, towards others who had blessings that I didn't have. And it was, it was just so hard to like articulate that because I never once ever put myself in this, um, the space where I was not compassionate of others that, um, I was maybe deemed as a mean girl. Like I would have never said that about myself. And so I tried to reject those negative emotions as much as I possibly could, but I couldn't control them. Um, and I did this all without God because I was so angry at him, but the reality of what was happening was there was very morbid thoughts. And when I, when I talk about this with others, um, what I mean by that is that I thought about heaven all the time, uh, like about going there. I, I thought about death and dying and what that meant, the purpose of life. And, um, like, would I go there one day and like, but never did I actually put those thoughts into like practical solutions, like how to make that happen. Like, how is that going to manifest itself from an actual thought to a practical um, journey towards my faith? Um, I felt so paralyzed by what was happening, like emotionally, like I didn't have someone there saying, okay, this is what this is. And speaking truth over the, over the lies that I believed and, and ushering me back to my faith. Um, I, um, had a very disordered way of thinking when it came to, um, like our faith and what we believe as Catholics until a friend of mine, um, experienced loss in 2016. Um, so I'd been on the journey for about seven years and I was functioning in society, but if every night I would cry, um, I was not thriving. There was no joy. And when my friend lost her child, I think it, what happened to me, it was that I saw something different than what I did. Whereas my friend, she was standing at the foot of the cross with Mary. Um, I was more like Peter and I ran and that was different. And my friend invited me back to my faith. And she was the first person who had ever told me, okay, do this, or this is what you should do, who had experienced loss. So before everyone that suggested had not lost a child. So I didn't trust them. I didn't trust that what they said um, could actually work for someone who was in deep darkness and in um, the trenches of grief. And um, so this was different. And then I had a friend, my friend Shandy, who um, invited me to join RCIA to make my confirmation because I'd never made that. My mom left the faith when I was about seven years old. 
Um, and so I made my confirmation as an adult. I was 37 years old with my friend and that was different because she did it with me. And um, then I made, I went to make my Crisio. So I don't know if you guys know about Crisio in Lake Charles. I know you have a big <laughs> following. <laughs> and um, that is where I met the real person of Christ. Um, I knew who God was before, but I didn't have a relationship with him and everything changed after that. So one of the things that you talked about in your book, you talked about in your Christian infancy, you believe that once, uh, you know, you believe that Christ died for your sins, everything was going to be great. He died to, to uh, take away all of that suffering and, and just, you were going to have a joyous life at that point. How, mm -hmm. how have those things changed over time uh, in your life? How has that perspective yes. changed? <laughs> so I, I've learned now that we're, no one is immune to suffering. Like we're all going to suffer to some degree or another. Um, our crosses might look completely different. Some might be heavier than others, but we all have our crosses. They're built for us. God gives them to us with the ability to carry them. Um, and also too, like God did not promise that suffering wouldn't be in the world. I mean, he told us that in the garden when, when man, when, um, man fell, he told us that he would be with us. Uh, and he promises us, you know, through the Psalms that, you know, through the suffering, through the sorrow, like we will always find him there. Um, so that perception completely changed. And of course it changes when you understand too, about actual will and per permissive will. I, thought that God willed my child to die. And so if you can't, if you, if you don't understand just that most fundamental truth, it's hard when you, it's hard to, to move past that in, in healing. If that's what you believe, if that, if that God willed your child to die, um, God does not will evil on us, although he allows this to happen and that completely changed everything to me um, because for a long time, that was my truth. You may have just answered my question, Kelly, but you've mentioned, you know, before RCIA and Curcio, you had more um, morbid thoughts, dark thoughts about heaven and maybe almost kind of wondering, you know, how to get there. And then after you had this conversion of faith and a deeper relationship, how did that voice change? Was it were you starting to see things differently? Was God speaking to you in different ways through uh, your friend or your family? Did it like, I, I just kind of wondered how that, that, that whisper in your ear kind of shifted and gave you this hope and this new perspective. Yeah. So what I tell everyone is like, you know, the church asks us to pick up our cross and carry it. That's our, like Christ gives us that, that, um, that command and, um, I was trying to carry my cross in mortal sin. So I did not have the grace to be able to do it. And so through Curcio, it, it's an infusion of grace. I mean, it's sacramentally driven with truth. And when I emerged out of that field with sanctifying grace, it was automatic. Like everything became like they say in color. I no longer saw the world for what the world was because I no longer was living in mortal sin, mortal sin clouds, it darkens everything, it darkens the good, it darkens the truth. You can't see, you can't see truth. Um, it's like, for me, it was like that saw to Paul moment where the, the scales just fell off my eyes um, and everything uh, made sense again to me.
That's that's really incredible, and I, we appreciate the vulnerability and the openness with us too today. Can you talk about some of the fruits that have come, you know, um, from the suffering, so to speak, is into where you are today with with what you have done, especially with the uh, Redbird Ministries and the book, and you know how the shoes kind of on the other foot a little bit, helping people. Can you talk about some of those fruits that have come about? Definitely. Through my suffering, my cha- I have a chance for heaven now. I think that just, you know, my suffering has allowed me to have, to begin my, san- you know, my, my sanctification, my purification for that opportunity for heaven. That has been huge, but it also has opened up an invitation, not only in just myself, my, my, my family, um, you know, cause people like were watching what we were doing all the time, you know, um, it was, it's hard to live in that space of when people are trying or think you're strong because you've endured this. And it's like, I just survived. <laughs> so like, while they were watching us survive, they actually started to see us thrive again. So that's been a huge blessing, but also to in, um, I've become a better wife, a better mother, of course, a better friend, better human, um, through my suffering because, um, I appreciate and value the gift of life and I see the dignity in others. And I have so much empathy for people who suffer Um, because when you experience suffering, um, you share this language that with others, that is, you can't even put words to it. It's a, it's almost like a wordless language, Um, but you know what people are going through. And then some other fruits, of course, that, have been beautiful to watch is the conversion of friends um, through um, our conversion. Um, the gift of Red Bird uh, was born out of our suffering and our our healing. And so many families have been invited into that space of shared suffering and um, uniting our wounds together and then to Christ and for allowing him to come in and provide the healing balm and the peace that um, comes into any suffering when we invite Christ into that. Um, he's just waiting there to provide us that, that healing. And then, you know, other things that I see has been just a gift is just, um, you know, the people that we meet um, when God first asked us to do this, I was like, no, not me. Don't pick me. I don't want to do this. (laughs) And he was like, no, like, this is what, like, you've been anointed to do this. And, you know, there's just, I've, what is grown into maybe a little fear and timidity and like entering into that space is very scary space to be sometimes with people, um, with a, into a great appreciation that God has invited me to sit with people in suffering, which is a very sacred place. It's a sacred altar of people's lives. People tell us a lot of things that they're not willing to tell anyone. Some of them, some of these families are struggle to tell their spouse some of the things that they tell us. So that's been a, a gift and a blessing to be able to, to sit with people in that and also to help them to see clearly Um the lies that they are believing to speak truth over that and to see God work in their lives and them to believe in God's goodness. Again, that has been a gift to me. 
Yeah, one of the other things that was, I think, really important to me in the book was, um, you know, y'all had wanted to have children and had, had been trying for a while, and, um, you know, then y'all had the children and obviously uh, lost uh, two of them early on. Uh, but it was just the realization that, uh, you know, they were a gift. They weren't given to you permanently, that they were going to go back at some point in time. So that was another big meaningful thing for me. Um, and would you like to expand on that thought? Yeah, so I was very possessive of my children. <laughs> I thought they were mine. And I mean, to some degree, they are another God does. He entrusts us to uh, our children, to us, to care for and to return them back to him one day. I was just asked to return ours sooner than later, um, which is hard. Um, but seeing them as gift first has allowed me to accept that, that suffering. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's taken a lot, <laughs> a long time to get to that place and uh, to, to uh, of acceptance that this is my story and be okay with, with sharing that. But I think there's so much beauty in it because, you know, there's a real struggle with openness to life after loss. We have a lot of our families that struggle through that. Um, but knowing first that their gift is, it helps people to change their perception. Yeah, I think that's a great point in, in thought process there. I was kind of curious too, you just mentioned that, um, you know, when y'all are helping people, uh, they're open with y'all, uh, speaking with y'all, sometimes struggling to even speak to their spouses about some of the stuff they're going through. What about those who are maybe listening to this or those that are out there that are trying to take the step of, man, I need to reach out for some community, some help, things like that. Would you have any advice for them? Yeah, so we just released and launched our app in September. So that's a very, cool. very good place to go. It has a lot of resources and um, um, it has a community, built-in community. One for, uh, there's groups that you can join for mothers of loss or fathers of loss. But there's also a community for family and friends to learn more and um, to for them to get information on how to help and support people that they love that, that has experienced loss. And then we also do have a space for our leaders. So people who are doing this work as well as our clergy, which we I, I have identified that they are our first responders. They're the ones that are getting the phone calls. They're the ones that are hearing our confession. Like when I was raging, <laughs> I went to confession. And then, um, you know, just to have a, a, a space that resources, there's a lot of information there as well as to our website has blogs and information that they can read as well. It's redbird.love. Oh yeah, what's the name of the app? It's Redbird Ministries. Very cool that y'all are uh, y'all are really embracing the technology over there. I think that I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, thanks. You know, Kelly, one interesting thing about your story, it kind of brings back a memory I have, and I, I don't know if I've shared this with a whole lot of people, but my grandmother, she's since passed, but um, maybe eight years ago, she fell, hit her head, had a brain bleed. Long story short, had to have two brain surgeries in and out of ICU. But during one of these times where she was coming to and waking up in the ICU, you could actually communicate with us. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll preface this with that. She was a devout Catholic, daily mass, rosary every day. You know, if she was reading a book about theology, watching the Astros and listening to opera all at the same time, I'm not sure how <laughs> she did that. 
But she had, had a really, very deep faith. And when she came to, and the first thing she could say, we're like, you know, how you feel? She goes, you should see the babies. There's so many babies. She had a near-death experience, and what she witnessed was thousands of little babies in heaven. And that was just kind of gave me chills when she told me that. And me and my wife reflect on that a lot. But that was her, her near-death experience was seeing how many little children and babies were in heaven. I thought that was something that I'd like to share. It was kind of, kind of interesting. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Yeah, I know. I, I, you know, the communion of the saints has never been so real to me before. Like I used to like, oh yeah, the communion of saints, like Mother Teresa, John Paul the Great. And like only thinking about these elevated names in heaven that, you know, like holiness was not, not unattainable, but just like elevated. And I doing this work, the communion of the saints has, like I said, never been so real to me before because I see the intercession of each one of these families children in bringing them into the ministry of how they've gotten here like we don't even advertise on YouTube and this one lady found us through YouTube don't know how but like multiple stories of just ways that they found the ministry and how the ministry has been brought into their lives and it's there's only one answer it's divine in a divine intervention for them their little saint in heaven is moving heaven and earth for them to find healing no doubt and kelly we have really enjoyed the the chat here today and we'd like to ask all our guests um as you know the title of the podcast is who's driving your car so it's kind of proverbial for who or what's driving your life so we wanted to ask you before we close it up here you know who or what is driving your car in your life these days Yes. Yeah, so I, I thought about it for a second. I was like, well, definitely the Holy Spirit, because I am sanguine, choleric. And so there's a whole lot of fun and a whole lot of maybe not a, not um, structured organization. So I was like, definitely the Holy Spirit, because um, I get the, just the openness to what he's doing in my life and just allowing him to take control because we don't have control, even if we want to have control. <laughs> That's awesome. And Kelly, you mentioned Redbird Ministries, the app. Are there any other resources or places that you could direct um, our listeners to go to, to, to connect with you, your book, uh, websites, anything that they can go to maybe reach out to your ministry and get support and help? Yeah. So redbird.love is a great place to find any of our, our materials and books uh, and our blogs and the app for support and other type of um, information. Those are the two best places to go. Well, Kelly, we uh, we appreciate you joining us today, and and our listeners, I, I would challenge y'all if you, if you are in need of some help, etc., or just want to learn more. I think the book's awesome. Uh, just to read that in general too, to to check out some of Kelly and her husband's stuff they have going on. And Kelly, we appreciate you having, coming on today. Yeah, thanks Thank for coming so on, Kelly. For me. Thank you thanks. for coming on. My sister was so excited. I know you know her a little bit, uh, living in the same area, so she was uh, thrilled that we were able to get you on. So. I've enjoyed the conversation. I really enjoyed the book. Um, some difficult times in there, but it's nice to see the uh, what's come through at the end of the rainbow. Thank you so much. Yes. All right, guys. Uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in. And until next time, we'll catch you all later. Aye. Hey, y'all. If you've been enjoying picking up what we've been laying down, subscribe and never miss an episode. Find us on social media and let us know who's driving your car this week. 
You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Who's Driving Your Car Podcast. Perfect timing, sun is shining, nothing more I need, yeah. If you feel like this your best life, won't you sing with me?